Well, I'm really looking forward to this morning. Uh, I'm going to interview someone who's become uh, family to me, really, him and his wife. And I didn't know Jackie was going to be here this morning. Hey, Jackie, I'm about to put a picture of your daddy on the screen. Uh, many of you know the name uh, Gene Stallings. Let's put a picture of Coach Stallings on the screen. A lot of college football diehards in the South. Um, is it working this morning? Uh, Coach Stallings was, uh, no, it's not working. System is down. That means all the verses are down. I got a lot of verses this morning. Uh, coach Stallings was a legendary football coach for University of Alabama, Hall of Fame football coach, Hall of Fame NFL football coach. And uh, John Mark, why don't you come on up here? This is Coach Stallings' uh, grandson. John Mark's married to Lawrence, John Mark Vanderpool. John Mark's cousin plays football at Clemson. His parents are right over here. John and Jackie, wave your hands over here. Plays tight in for Clemson. He's a redshirt freshman this year. And uh, I love your boots, by the way. God always has me disciple guys that could whip me physically in about four seconds. Um, John Mark is uh, your typical Oklahoma, Texas type person. And uh, the reason I'm interviewing John Mark today is not just because I'm discipling him, but over the last really year and a half, two years, just getting to know your story, a couple weeks ago I said, you know, I want uh, the family here to hear your story because a lot of people believe that God just picks certain people and does certain things and that, well, there's greater hunger on that person than me. But the truth is, uh, if you want it, come and get it. I spoke at a conference at John and Jackie's church in Texas three years ago. And uh, I remember talking to Jackie and I remember hearing your name. And then I got a phone call from you and I'm like, who is this guy? You wouldn't leave me alone. And you read, uh, you read my book. And I mean, you called me for like over a period of a year. Yeah, for a very long time. Yeah, yes. we speak in the microphone here in South Carolina, so you have to you hold it up. Me? Yes. And uh, you moved from Oklahoma with your bride and Max, your German shepherd, to Greenville, South Carolina. That's right. Why in the world did you move here? Uh, just out of obedience. Um, we had probably been doing our huddle for about 10 months at that point, eight months at that point. And uh, my wife and I, we had really been just chasing after Abba going hard, just trying to, number one, pursue him with everything we had. We were hungry. We didn't know what that looked like. And after my Aunt Jackie and my Uncle John gave me your book, it was very evident that we needed to start calling you. You just told me to wear you out. So that was emails, phone calls for a very long time. And uh, persistence does pay off, just in case y'all are wondering. And uh, it was out of obedience. The Lord told us that right when we moved into the house in Oklahoma, he said, you're going to be here for eight months. And uh, eight months later, we were in a pickup in a U-Haul heading here on I-40. And uh, just being obedient is really what it is. Now, that's interesting. Hang on to that from what I'm speaking on this morning. You heard him first on this. You didn't say, hey, I have a dream to be here eight months. What's your uh, background spiritually? I grew up in the Church of Christ, which there are not a whole lot of in South Carolina, which I can tell. Um, it's mostly Texas and Tennessee. It's very similar to Baptist. Um, it's not really spirit-filled communities, more cessationist, but very heavy a word church. And uh, it's an amazing, amazing gift that's been given to us. It's just a foundation in Scripture. And so when we look back at our heritage, we do, we're very appreciative to the Church of Christ, to Baptist churches, to any other denomination that's very heavy in Scripture. And so we have a huge foundation in that, more that solid, sound theology. Um, but there's some, there was something missing to that and being the gifts of the Spirit and just really the intimacy with God that I only knew him as God back then. Now it's Abba, you know, falling in love with my dad and my wife's the exact same way. And that's really been what's changed everything. What would you say for you and Lauren the last 18 months? There's probably a few, but what would you say 
is the biggest thing you've learned that's given you breakthrough in the kingdom and your intimacy with the Father? Is there a principle that is like, let's say you had to speak on it this morning, which you never know. I got that in me. I could go sit down. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, yeah, uh, what, uh, what is that? What is that number one principle? How many people have read Undercover by John Bevere? has been the most astounding book with just principally driven how you operate in the kingdom, what submission looks like, what authority looks like, what ordained authority looks like. And as believers, how we acknowledge that authority, respect it. We do not rebel against it. The principle that rebellion and sin go hand in hand, um, completely a, a just paradigm shift for us. And so how we react to authority, how we support authority, no matter the circumstance, I mean, there, it does go through in the book the dire circumstance that they talk about when, okay, now you do something about it. But until that point, the unrelenting support and just peace that you bring anywhere you go, whether it's your job, whether it's if you're in school, the teachers that you have in school, you know, local authority, you know, national government, state government, the kind of people we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to respond to that. It's ordained. You know, Abba has the people in place that he wants in place, so who are we to go against that? And how that authority, how that covering can be lifted just by our own actions. That really right there, because there's so much. You can unpack that for years, what that even looks like. About 18 months ago, in one of our times together, I said, you could not get a prophetic word if the Lord bit you on the neck. What's wrong with you? You started laughing. 18 months later, it's pretty frightening uh, how, uh, I mean, you've exploded in the prophetic specifically 1 Corinthians 14, 1, uh, to which we've talked about a lot around here, where Paul says, pursue love, and then eagerly desire all the gifts, especially prophecy, because if we pray in tongues and someone's there, specifically an unbeliever, they have no idea what's going on, but if you give a prophetic word from the Father to someone, Paul says they know then on the spot that God is in their midst. How in the world have you gone from where literally you, nothing right yes yes <laughs> radio silence yes how uh, what's happened like if you how have you grown so fast and so accurately i think that's a good question um this is something that lauren and i've seen pretty dramatically over the last 18 months i would start off with if you can do two things and only two things if you can be defined by abba if you will allow god to define who you are rather than anybody else being yourself your family friends, people who hate you, whomever. If you can allow Abba to define who you are as an individual, and then if you can allow him to define people around you by how he sees them. So if you can see yourself the way he sees you, and if you can see other people the way that he sees other people, then everything changes. Completely. Everything changes. Because you become love, and then you see the love that Abba has for you and for others. And so, if you want to go the distance, you sort of have to ask yourself that too. Do I just want to be able to get a prophetic word? Or do I want to be doing this for the next 90 years? How am I going to be able to go the distance doing this? Number one, you have to be compatible with who he is, which I was not. That was the main thing, not even a little bit. You have to be on his timeline. You have to receive his love because you can't give away what you don't have, right? Yeah. And you have to be able to see people for the way he sees them rather than some other lie that other people define them by. You know what I mean? You really have to change your perception of who you are and who other people are. And then after that, a prophetic word, it's, it's such a big thing. It sounds like, oh, I got this prophetic word for you. It's just hearing what your dad's saying about other people. It's not as complicated as I made it out to be. I can't speak for y'all, but it's just not as complicated as what I thought. It's literally hearing the words of your father in a loving way and just portraying it the way that you're hearing it. That's another hormone for me. It's just really becoming that 
and then sharing it. That's really what makes all the difference. Warren Buffett spends over five hours a day reading. Most people uh, are too busy and they have too many excuses why they don't read. Of all the people I've ever invested in since I started walking in the kingdom 15, 16 years ago, you read more than anyone I've ever discipled. Where's that passion come from? Why do you do it? It's, it's so wild what that does for you. I heard a quote three years ago that I did not believe in the slightest of the people you meet in the books that you read are the things that will change you. When I heard it, I said, that's the biggest load I've ever heard. And it's trash. I was wrong. I want y'all to hear that. 100% wrong. It is what changes you as an individual. And you have to create time. You can't save your time away. You have to create it. You can't just budget your time. You have to make it. And so if that means waking up at four o'clock in the morning, Lord wakes you up and he said, I've got a book for you to finish. Go wear it out. Because there, there comes a grace on the situation. There are times six months will go by and I can't even count the number of books that the Lord's given me to read. And I've got a stack waiting for me, you know, in Amazon, <laughs> right? That he said, once you finish this, I got about 15 more for you. And it's not the kind of thing where you spend 15 hours a day reading and you don't do anything else. When the grace is on the situation, you will fly through a book. You will fly through podcasts. I don't know how many of Bridgeway podcasts I've listened to on repeat for the past three years. I would venture to say I've listened to more than a lot of y'all, than a lot of y'all have been in sermons. You ha- like when you're hungry, you pray for hunger, the Lord gives you the hunger. Because that's the other thing, you have to ask for the hunger. It just, the grace rests, and then you have to go hard getting after it. It's on you. And that's the fun part, is that it's on us. It makes it so much easier. Why don't you uh, speak a blessing uh, of hunger over this house? Abba, we love you so much. We're so grateful for you. We accept your perception of who we are, and we reject any other perception. Lord, we bless everyone here with an insatiable hunger to know you on your terms, to know you for who you are, and to love other people the way that you love them. We bless everyone to have paradigm shifts of the love that you have for us now. We thank you for the worship we had this morning that set the tone for that. Lord, but we ask for a deep-seated hunger that comes from your Holy Spirit in each one of us as individuals. And Lord, a way of walking that out. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Sir. Thank you so much. Just give John Mark a hand this morning. Bible. You know, I love what God's doing at Bridgeway because the whole premise is it's not about one person or a couple of people. We all get to play. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the, greater is he who is in me than he was in the world. And um, I tweeted something last night. I said, you don't need the approval of anyone else in your life to give you your worth. He's your father. He's your father. I am convinced at this point that growth in the kingdom is predicated upon one premise and that is Identity. And a lot of times we are more like parasites and we want to devour the blood of another person, live off his or her spirituality. He's your father. That blows my mind. 44 years old, still doing this. He's my father. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I honestly believe our biggest uh, breakthroughs and encounters are actually through the word and not in the spirit realm. Uh, I had blue feathers fall in my office uh, a few months ago in the natural, not in the spirit. Most people, when they hear that, would rather have something like that happen than get revelation in the Word. I've only thought about it two or three times since then. I remember where I was sitting when I got revelation on Romans 8.1 when I was 31 years old. Not a day goes by where I don't remember the nuclear atomic bomb of love that went off inside of me when I realized that I'm as clean as Jesus. That didn't come through an angelic feather. An angel didn't appear like he did with Cornelius. 
I didn't hear an audible voice. It didn't even give me chills. It just, it transformed me in one moment. And I've been walking it out since then. Well, it actually came through the word. Jesus Christ himself, before he was 30 years old, we have zero stories of him with these wild encounters. Most charismatics would rather have a wild encounter than to spend three years in a desert, desert memorizing the epistles of, of Paul or learning the premise. Why did Paul say something 189 times in the scriptures? I have never seen anyone grow to a, a great depth in God that is not having more encounters with the word than they are through prophetic words or experiences. I had a dream last night. It was awesome. I had a really dramatic dream about a week and a half ago. It's awesome. It's not more awesome than this. And if Bridgeway is a bridge between the word and the spirit, if we're not careful, you'll tend to desire things that affect your senses more than the faith realm because the word's in the faith realm because you have to take it and believe it by faith. I don't feel anything coming off these pages right now. It's not going woo, woo, woo. The greatest people in the kingdom of God are not driven by what they can smell, see, taste, touch, hear, feel. It's the faith realm where the word operates. When Satan comes after Yeshua in this desert, he doesn't pray in tongues against Satan. He doesn't jump around. Angels don't manifest. I got no problem with any of that stuff. It's fun when it happens. I've never pursued it in my life. Sometimes it's kind of scary, actually. A lot of people are more afraid of the enemy than they do fear God. Let me tell you something. The Lord shows up in the natural. It's not. The two times in my life where his presence got really thick, I was telling Sam recently, it was, it was too much. He responded to the enemy in the desert with the written word of God. That's awesome. Your marriage needs the written word of God more than your spouse needs a prophetic word by someone else that you're just begging that they'll get a breakthrough because they believe something from another person. Quote the scripture over your spouse behind his or her back and don't ever tell them about it. Y'all don't want to listen to none of this. Man, I'm so excited. My monitor died. I don't know how much time's left. That means I get to go as long as I want to. Uh-oh, it just showed back up. I got 18 minutes. All right. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not mad at myself. But today is way more on the challenge side of things than uh, Fuzzyville. Wouldn't you rather grow in God than just to find a church or somewhere that's just a warm cup of milk that helps you snuggle up to your own insecurities? In the age of being politically correct, it's, just, it's like, let's give people 15 versions of coffee because we don't want to offend anyone. If Jesus pastored this church, you could have the whole church on that section over there. The closer he got to the cross, the fewer disciples he had. I, just, I want Jesus on his terms. And this morning, I want to spend 17 minutes and 13 seconds talking about one concept. In the kingdom, it's illegal to dream about your life if the dreams that you have are not coming from him. Psalm 24, 1, everything in the world is the Lord's and everything in it. There's a huge difference in believing in Jesus and being completely surrendered to Jesus. Because once you're completely surrendered to Jesus, you answer opposite of the rich young ruler. Yep, you can have it all, Lord. It doesn't matter to me. What? There's no more freeing place in the world to be. The reason we worry so much, and by the way, I'm speaking to insiders, not outsiders. The reason we worry so much about the future, about the present, about the past, that we're not connected to the Father. 
once you're in the kingdom, you have no needs. You have no wants. But yet Jesus is your big brother, sits on a throne, intercedes for you. You have angelic protection and your father is giving you plans. And the prayer becomes, Father, what are your plans for my life? Uh, Kingdom citizens, ambassadors don't have ambition outside of whatever the father wants for them. As a matter of fact, Jesus said something in John 6, 38. I love this. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will. Jesus Christ did not have a dream over his own life. A lot of times uh, people will mask an entrepreneurial spirit that's actually just full of discontentment. It's easier for us in prophetic cultures to think about the future of what's next or where I'm going to be or what's going to manifest than it is just to be present. Brother Lawrence figured it out. He wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. If you're not careful in prophetic cultures, you're concerned more about your next season. How many of you have gotten words (laughs) over the years about the season that's coming up for you? I would say most prophetic words about what's coming down the road. But when you listen to Paul, it's words of knowledge, words of discernment, and prophecy. Prophecy is about the future. If all you're ever talking to the Father about is what's next, and you're, you're just like, man, I'm dreaming about this, I'm dreaming about that, perhaps he has you in a place in life where he's trying to get you to a place where you're turning more to him than what's next. Let me explain. I want to talk about four or five passages before we get into Jeremiah of practically breaking down how something happened in someone's life. Let's go to Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And I want to ask the million-dollar question, whose idea was it to make Abram into Abraham, into the father of many nations? Abram doesn't know who God is. He's never heard of him. Genesis 12, the Lord had said to Abram, I love that, the Lord had said, every dream in your life should begin with what the Lord is saying. The Lord has said... You know, it's interesting. A lot of people grow up in cultures, specifically the South, where if you want, you want something to be great about your life and you just assume that that must be like in a ministry setting. There are people in this room that the Father's plan for you is to be the best lawyer you can possibly be. But we box God in all the time because we have a passion for him, but then we take to him our dreams or what we think we need to do. I'm just telling you, I never saw this coming for me. Matter of fact, I said when I was working at a sports camp, a sports camp, I want to be a coach. I remember telling a buddy of mine, I'll do a lot of things, but I'm not going to seminary. I went to Beeson Divinity School, an academic reform seminary in Birmingham, Alabama, on the campus of Sanford University. I would not have picked that for me in 10 billion years. I went to school with Presbyterians and Methodists and Charismatics and Pentecostals, some Catholics, only to find out later down the road someone would prophesy over me named Andrew Walmart, and he says, you and your wife are a bridge. Y'all are a big deal, and you're going to be a bridge to many different rivers. Well, God sovereignly stuck me in a seminary for four years where I was in an eclectic environment. Abram's not sitting there saying, Father, I'm begging you. I'm begging you to make me the father of many nations. He does, it's a polytheistic society. He doesn't know Jehovah. God shows up to Abram. Now, uh, watch this. Go to uh, Exodus 3. This is my favorite one. If you're not careful, you'll know a lot of principles about the story of Moses, and you will not recognize that in Exodus 3, Moses has absolutely nothing to do with the bush catching on fire. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, begging God to show up in a bush. No. 
He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. I love this about God. No matter where you are, he can find you. It doesn't say wilderness. He's on the far side. You may be in the worst place of your life. God knows where you are. And Richard Foster calls him the great hound of heaven. He will sniff you out and find you. He'll also put you on the backside of a desert. Ask Jonah. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Next verse. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him flames of fire from within a bush. The whole point of what I'm saying is whose idea is it? What's wild is God has plans for us in the womb. The kingdom prayer is, Father, I have no rights. What do you want in my life? Because the highest goal of my life is to be like Jesus. And he said that he didn't even come to do his own will. If Jesus didn't come to do his own will, maybe I shouldn't either. Maybe the correct prayer is, here I am. Some of you in here, your dream is to be a full-time mom. It's because that dream's not coming from you. So instead of being a parasite and living on someone else's dream, just be you, let him be him. Sounds like a John Mayer song. Just be you, let him be him. And whatever, whatever he has for you, just say yes. How about this one? John one forty one. We know that Jesus, a few years after this, flips the keys to Simon Peter. If you think Simon Peter is thinking when his brother comes to get him that they found the Messiah and that Simon Peter is going to be the leader of all these disciples, he has no clue. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. How did they find the Messiah? The Messiah found them. We get in trouble when we dream our own dreams and make our own decisions. Most people in the kingdom are living a plan B or a plan C life. Simply because when he was speaking, we said no to that. Here's what's amazing about the father. When you say no to him, his presence does not leave you, but he will absolutely let you walk into whatever you think is best for your life. And that, my friends, to me is as scary or more scarier than not even knowing him at all. Because who in the world wants to be connected in intimacy with God? but not be obedient to him. I was, I was telling him down here earlier, I just want to know you. I want to have the same zeal that Jesus has for you. And the father really simply spoke to me. The indicator of intimacy, Chad, is always obedience. See, because I can be very exuberant in worship. I can have a very boisterous personality towards God. And if I'm disobedient, that stuff doesn't mean anything. He doesn't even really recognize it. He cares about obedience. So the angel of the Lord shows up, the bush catches on fire. <laughs> And then Moses says, you want me to do what? You know, it's interesting. People who are to completely surrendered to God are typically caught off guard with what he wants them to do with their lives. You want me to move where? I love what you said. You didn't say you wrote in your journal, Father, I'd like to stay here for eight months. It wasn't your idea to call me. The father said, John, Mark, you and Lauren will be here for eight months, Correct. And then you will be moving to Greenville. I love this because most people find their security and crutch in an occupation or a spouse or their own dream. This is why Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. The kingdom is predicated upon one concept. And by the way, I'm not talking about born again. I'm talking about the kingdom. The kingdom is predicated upon one mindset. Father, I'm yours. Where are we going today? And sometimes the father says, we're going to go on a journey. Other times the father says, you know what? I'm going to teach you something over the next 10 years. I want you to sit tight. And the more you squirm, the longer the season lasts. Because the father is more interested in who you're becoming than your destination. Man, I feel like fighting. John Mark, you want to fight? Come up here. 
Actually, I, never mind. I don't want to do that. Okay, what about this? Genesis 37, 5. How about this one? I love Dr. King's speech. I have a dream. I love it. Dr. King's speech came from the Father. I've read his autobiography. I took classes on him in seminary. My spiritual father is African-American, man. If you knew the story of Dr. King, God snatched him up. Dr. King did not see any of that coming. So even I have a dream speech is from the father himself. Look at this one. Joseph had a dream. This isn't daydreaming. He's asleep. He has a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, that went really well. The whole premise is where did the dream come from? A lot of people, even in this room, I'm not trying to be mean. I just, I just want to be honest. I mean, Jesus said some honest things. We're not seeing breakthrough because we want breakthrough on our own dreams. And the moment you surrender, all of a sudden doors tend to open. Why are we so belligerent? What is it? I mean, do we think we're smarter than him? This concept is harder for Americans than it is for anyone in the world. The Westerners struggle. Reading the scriptures through a Western mindset is practically impossible. And here's what the father will do. He will let you walk off into what you want for your life. His presence won't leave you. Reinhard Bonnke said on page 600 and something in his autobiography, he'll never forget the day that the Holy Spirit told him that he was the father's third choice for his assignment. German-born African evangelist led over 55 million people into the kingdom of God, and he was God's third choice. Rich young ruler said no. John 6, many disciples deserted him, and Jesus didn't chase them down. He will chase you down for salvation. He will not chase you down for your mission or your assignment. Because he's not insecure and he's not begging you. He gives you an opportunity. And the moment he gives you the word, the window starts to close. There's always someone in the shepherd's field waiting on me. I promise you right now, the father already has in mind. If I'm going to mess up, step into impurity, drop the mantle he's given me, there's already two, three, four, five people in line. This is why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord says, what's your plan? So next time someone asks you, what's your dream for your life? Say, the father. A lot of times what we do is we mask apostolic mindsets. I'm a leader of leaders. No, you're not. You know what you are? You're discontent. And you start to squirm. And if you squirm, that season will get longer and longer and longer and longer and longer and longer and longer. I'm talking about assignment and mission. What's great is when you maintain a progressive mindset that you do want to lead out in kingdom movements that you do want to extend the kingdom, but you don't want to take a half an inch a step until he tells you to take it. Why did Jesus not begin his ministry at 29? Because the father didn't want him to. (laughs) Jesus is amazed at so many of his siblings on the earth that make their assignment so complicated. The will of God is really simple. You'll never miss it. You ready? Wake up every morning and follow him. Give him your life. I was telling Sam recently, I have no idea where Sam's going to go to college. I have no idea who's going to pay for it. It has to be father. I don't know where he's going to school. I don't know. It's not that I don't care, but I don't care. I remember when uh, I got rejected from seminary. That sounds silly to some people, but where I went to school, a lot of people get rejected. You talk about a dark day. You're going to learn about God and they won't let you in. John, is that not the truth? It's a hard place, isn't it? And, um, my wife had a ring on her finger. We're engaged. My parents had, we, uh, that night 
I already had the U-Haul packed. That night, we had a celebration party. My mom had already bought a cake. I got a letter in the mail from Dr. Danny Blair that said, sorry at this time to inform you, you're not accepted to Beeson Divinity School. It's not a big deal to you guys, but to me, I was like, wait a minute. Father told me to apply to go here. He told me I was going here. It never occurred to me that I wouldn't get accepted. And I remember I went downstairs. I can remember what the chair looked like. I sat in the chair for a couple seconds and then got on my knees. And this is what I prayed. I didn't want to go there. You told me to go there. I've trusted you up until this point, and I trust you now. This is your problem, not mine. A lot of people think that that's cynicism. That's a high form of faith. Your problems aren't your problems. And if you think you're, they're your problems, he will let you handle your problems on your own. I got a phone call at 10.30 the next morning. I never answer the phone at my parents' house because, number one, I don't like talking on the phone. And number two, it, I, um, I knew they wouldn't be calling for me. And my dad ran his business out of his home. The phone rang all the time. For some reason, I answered the phone. I answered the phone and said, Dr. Benny Littlejohn, pastor of First Baptist Church, Birmingham, Alabama, about 300 yards from Beeson Divinity School, right down the street. I answered the phone. Dr. Littlejohn said, um, are you Chad? I said, yes, sir. Who's this? He said, well, I just sold a house to your dad. This is Dr. Littlejohn. I said, Dr. Littlejohn, you're, uh, you just moved to Birmingham. I said, I was supposed to go to Beeson Divinity School, and I just got rejected. And uh, would you happen to know anyone that could help me? He said, Chad, I'm having lunch with the dean of the seminary at noon in an hour and a half. Three hours after that, I got accepted by Danny Blair to go into school. Yeah. The The whole point is this. This stuff is either real or it's not. And if the father has a dream over your life, no demon in hell, no, quit giving them so much credit. Nobody can come against his dream for your life. Oh my gosh, anybody can come against your dream for your life. So the question is, do I have a dream or does he have a dream? And if my dream is his dream, it's like a country music song. If my dream is his dream, then you're going to win. But here's the problem. Here's the challenge. His dreams are slow. Tell yourself 10 times a day, look in the mirror and say, God's not an American. You know how much time he has on his hands? When you become discontent and blame it on being an entrepreneurial spirit, you mind it. This isn't even prophetic. It's just fact. Whew. Hope you enjoy crock pot cooking. He'll turn that thing from low to lower. God has like 75 knobs on the lower. You want, you want to know how to speed it up? I'm serious. Give up. Father, whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want it. And a lot of times what will happen is the Father will give you a word in your past and it hasn't come to pass and the enemy will take the word that was good. It was a word. And the enemy will enter the picture and in your mind you'll start focusing on why that word hasn't manifested yet. The word is irrelevant to the mouth that the word came out of. Your, your literal assignment in life could be laying the framework of your grandchild that you hadn't even met yet because you're only 12. You say, well, that's not the dream I want. Well, then go find another kingdom to walk in. That's how his kingdom works. <laughs> Satan it has a kingdom of darkness, and it's marked by selfishness, greed, envy, and selfish ambition. Sounds like tons of churches to me. 
So here is the goal for us. Whatever you want. Uh, For this table conference, he told me not to invite anybody back that spoke last year. And he told me the four people to uh, uh, minister this year. Here was my answer. Okay. That's a great answer in the kingdom. Sounds good to me. So perhaps when someone says, I don't have a dream over my life, instead of condemning that person or saying, well, why don't you just dream? Why don't you go read some more books? Maybe that's the correct answer. Maybe John six thirty eight is the answer. I have not come here to do my will. That's Jesus Christ. That's my big brother. That's my king and savior. He's still doing that in heaven. You read the book of Revelation, the rapture. It seems to be that the father is the one that knows that time. The father who is greater than I am, he is the one that has his dream in his heart over you. That's awesome. So you know what you got to do? You got to come to the king's table of intimacy to find out his dream and then you got to agree with it. No wonder so few people walk out their destinies because it's not wired like us. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of trust. Why don't you stand with me and I'll speak a blessing over us. That's pretty good for 20 minutes. John Stratton, I saw you, uh, Father, show me a picture. You were hiking. You've lost some weight too, right? You're walking down this path. You took a right and you went down to the woods. Where you are right now is actually the Father is behind it. The Father's behind the whole thing. Why don't you come up here, grab a microphone, and just pray for this congregation. Pray for this body. You can just stand right here. We can hand John this microphone. Um, John has had a change of direction in his occupation. The Father's behind it, in my opinion. I'd love for you just to pray trust over this faith family. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for today. Um, I thank you for this week, um, being with the youth and seeing how you just changed all their direction. Um, And that you have control over every step in our life. And that we can admit it or not, but we want to fight that. And Lord, I just want to stop fighting. and letting you do it. And I pray blessing over every person in this room right now, Lord, that we would stop fighting and give up. And just follow what you have for us. And in that, we'll get the blessing that you want for us. So uh, I just pray blessing over everyone in this room for, from this moment forward. In your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.